listening to the Daily Gold Podcast, covering precious metals, the junior mining sector, and global capital markets for intelligent investors. Now, here is your host, Jordan Roy Byrne. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Gold Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And today I am with Jeffrey Christian, who is the founder and managing partner of CPM Group. I'm sure most of you listeners are familiar with him and his work. And uh, Jeff, uh, as we get started, I mean, obviously geopolitics is a huge issue. It's been an issue in the gold market. I mean, at least according to, you know, the usual segment of gold bugs and you know i am one of those so i don't say that in a negative way but you know i wanted to have you come on because there's a lot of questions about uh, geopolitical developments and you know russia's ba- they're going to back their currency with gold uh, you know china and russia are aligning they're going to dump the dollar and treasuries this is going to be really bullish for gold um it, so we, we hear these things and you know at least for me maybe in the long run yeah it seems like the dollar will lose power but I, to me i don't see that having an impact over the next couple of years but you're the real expert on this stuff so i mean please educate me and educate our audience as to what's going on and what the near-term and long-term impact might be Okay. Well, the first thing is, I don't believe that Russia has said anything about backing its currency with gold right now. It's been talking about gold. It's been saying that unfriendly nations should pay for their oil and gas imports from Russia in either rubles or gold. And Germany, the most, uh, the largest importer of of uh, Russian oil and gas from an unfriendly nation has said that's not going to happen. Uh, you know, uh, so I mean, Russia obviously has severe financial problems uh, because of the war. Uh, it's spending an enormous amount of money on the war. Uh, it has had the majority of its monetary foreign exchange reserves frozen, uh, either directly frozen by Western European. Japanese, South Korea, the United States have frozen maybe 200 of the $460 billion of foreign exchange that Russia has. Uh, there's another perhaps as much as $200 billion that's being uh, de- on deposit with the People's Bank of China in Wuhan. And Russia had asked the People's Bank of China to give it its deposit back in U.S. dollars and China said, we cannot do that at this time because there are international sanctions, and we do not want to run afoul of the international sanctions. So Russia had $470 billion in foreign exchange reserves, mostly in dollars and euros and, and won, um, at the end of January. And perhaps as much as $400 billion of that has been frozen. So it's low on exchange. It's suffering from sanctions. So its its foreign exchange imports have been declining. Although you know, critically, there have been no constraints on uh, on European imports of oil and gas from Russia, and there have been no uh, restraints or constraints or sanctions put on uh, platinum group metals and nickel exports. So they still have 
some uh, foreign exchange coming in, but they've really uh, lost access to that. Now, they have about $140 billion worth of gold reserves at the central bank, um, uh, the Russian central bank, uh, and that is stored in Russia, and they may have to sell some of that. They have said, as I said earlier, that uh, people from unfriendly nations should be paying them in gold or rubles for their oil and gas, but that's not happening. Uh, and they have said that they will buy, start buying gold from domestic refineries at a 14%, 15% discount to uh, the international price for gold. Uh, so I'm not sure how the domestic refineries are going to enjoy doing that, but I suspect that they will have to take that discount and sell to the Russian government, because I believe the Russian government has rules in place that says that if they want the gold, the uh, refineries have to sell it to them. So that's sort of the state of play with Russia and gold. I mean, Russia has 74 million ounces of gold reserves in the central bank. Uh, the Russian army apparently has other large amounts of gold. The Russian army is probably unlikely to use that gold or allow the government to use that gold. Uh, but, you know, they still have 74 million ounces that they might have to sell. Uh, they want to buy more from domestic producers if they can. It's not clear that they're going to. So the idea of Russia backing its currency by rubles seems to, uh, rubles uh, with gold seems to be a construct of people who are always saying stuff like that because they want people to believe that the dollar is going to collapse. And this is part of their meme. So that's that one. Um, in terms of the dollar, let's, let's admit it. The dollar today is 30% higher than it was in the period between 2005 and 2015. And I keep hearing that the oil price is collapsing this morning. It's all the way down to $105. Yeah, that's not a collapse in the oil price. Yeah, it's $20 lower than it was at a peak briefly two weeks ago, but it's also, what, $40 higher than it was two months ago? I also hear that the dollar is collapsing, but the dollar is not collapsing. The dollar is doing very well. On a short-term basis, it's doing well. On a long-term basis, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine probably is going to strengthen the dollar and the dollar's role as the de facto reserve currency in the long run. Uh, it probably will not hurt the dollar's standing. Uh, it probably is much more destructive of the euro's standing because of the proximity of Russia to Europe. Okay. Um, so what What about the—so lo looking further out, what about the— uh, the you know potential for some kind of uh, alliance with I guess Russia and China they really are already aligned. I mean, what if we see more fracturing as far as global geopolitics? Um, does that I mean does, could could China do something that would um, damage the dollar in the long run? I mean, I did see that global reserves. I, I don't know, five, seven years ago, we're like 66% of the dollar. I did see that they're 59% now. So it, it, I guess you, you could say it has lost a little bit of its power, but it's still the dominant currency. I mean, from looking at China, is there any uh, thing that they could do or, you know, them and Russia together that could hurt the standing of the dollar? 
Well, first off, I'm not sure where you got your earlier numbers, but, you know, in the run-up to the introduction of the euro in the mid-'90s, the European central banks that were going into the euro had to get rid of their other European currencies that were in their foreign exchange, and so they sold them for dollars. And the dollar got up to, I think, about 64 percent of foreign exchange reserves held by central banks at that time. Uh, but that was an aberration in the 90s. If you look at the percentage of central bank monetary reserves that's in gold, that's in U.S. dollars, it's been pretty stable around 59 to 62 percent for most of the last 50 years. So it's not like central banks are dumping the dollar. Anybody who tells you that central banks are dumping the dollar is not being honest or accurate. So that's not there. Um, what was the second part of your question? Oh, I, uh, oh, I, I mean, is there anything China, that is know, there anything China could? Yeah, yes, go ahead. There, there are things that China could do, but I'm not sure that they would. First off, China has among central banks, China has, I guess, the fourth largest position in U.S. Treasuries. So China has a lot more to lose if the dollar falls than the United States ha has to lose. So China is not going to do anything to damage the dollar. Uh, and, and that's another myth that is uh, prevalent among some people who try to scare folks into gold uh, for a living. Uh, it's just not going to happen. The second thing is, you know, if you saw one of my videos a couple weeks ago, I was talking about gold, uh, China, and Moscow and, and Beijing are not necessarily friends. I mean, I've got in my hands a book that I showed in one of our videos a couple weeks ago, Moscow and Chinese Communists. It was first published in 1953, and it's about what they call the Sino-Soviet conflict, which has been raging since 1953, and it continues. So Russia and China say to each other in public, hey, we have a never-ending friendship, but um, that never-ending friendship is a public gauze. Uh, China is carefully watching what's happening to Russia, Russia's GDP has fallen in half, according to the IMF, uh, due to the war. It's probably going to see a 35 percent decline in its overall GDP for the full year, assuming that this war ends within three months, probably with Russia's loss. It has lost a significant part of its army's uh, armored equipment already. It's lost 100-plus helicopters and several dozen fighter jets. Um, it's going to be impoverished for a long period of time. Uh, it's also lost a lot of stature in the world. And China's watching that, and they're saying, okay, here's a country that is run by an autocrat, and for 22 years he's been promising people to rebuild the Russian empire by taking over uh, foreign countries that used to be controlled by Russia. And for 22 years, he's failed. Now he's 69, going on 70. He's facing increased political opposition within Russia, uh, and he's failed to live up to his, his dream of reestablishing the Russian empire for 22 years. So he's attacking the Ukraine to try to take it over and reestablish it. It's clear that he's lost. How he loses and how much he loses is, is yet to be resolved. And China's watching that because 
China is run by a guy who has basically gathered autocratic powers for most of the last 10, 15 years. Um, and he has, like Putin in Russia, gotten rid of uh, potential challengers for the throne. So there isn't a hierarchy of other people to replace him. He has gone from, you know, China for 40 years took a diplomatic approach to reunifying with Hong Kong and reunifying with Taiwan. About 10 years ago, it started pivoting away from a diplomatic solution to reunifying with Taiwan, and it started taking a more militant approach. It's watching the way the United States and the world reacts to Russia taking a militaristic approach to try to take over the Ukraine. And it's probably concluding that what they need to do is pivot back toward a more diplomatic approach toward the idea of trying to reunify with Taiwan. So I don't know that China is going to do anything to, A, upset its stature in the world, or, B, align itself with a country that clearly is on the losing end of an imperialistic war. So I don't think that you're going to see China and Russia getting together to douse water on, on the dollar or to hurt the United States or the global economy in any way, shape, or form. China has far too much to lose if Europe and the United States suffer economically. Um, and it has a lot to lose politically if it aligns itself with uh, what is increasingly becoming a pariah state. And Jeff, I mean, just last thing on China, because I want to get focused more on gold, but in support of your points, I saw a chart a month or so ago that showed Chinese exports. I mean, they barely any exports to Russia. The biggest by far was the United States. So it. I mean, if I, when you look at that data, I mean, it, it supports yeah. your point. I just, I, it's just totally ridiculous. Some of this. I mean, I'm sorry for my own editorial comments, but uh, that's just my opinion. It's people you, aren't just. Are, they're jumping. They're you, jumping to conclusions so fast. You are definitely entitled to your opinion and to your editorial comments. Uh, you know, but yeah, I mean, look, it's not just gold and silver. Uh, the Internet is full of people who speak with great authority about things that they don't know anything about. And that includes China and Russia and monetary policy and economic policy and other things, too. You know, it, it's sad, but it's true. And it's always been the case in, in gold and silver, and it's always been the case in politics. And social media has allowed it to get worse. Okay, but that being said, I mean, I have you on here because you are someone who knows what he's <laughs> talking about. You do have expertise. So uh, let, let's f focus on gold. Give me your, well, I guess the first question would be, how has this conflict I mean, we, we, you just debunked all the ways it doesn't, it isn't really going to impact the dollar. But, but tell us how this conflict is having a impact, if it is, on the gold market here. Well, you know, right now it's pushed the gold price up, uh, and it's kind of focused a lot of attention. You know, if you go back just a couple months ago, the the gold market was fixating on inflation at the beginning of the year, and then it started pivoting to interest rates, and then it started pivoting to Russia's belligerence toward the Ukraine. And now that we're in a war, that sort of takes precedence, and all those other things are sort of pushed to the side. There are domestic political issues in the United States. There are domestic political issues in Europe. Uh, all of that stuff is sort of pushed to the side right now 
while the world focuses on the Russian-Ukraine war. And, and so in that kind of environment, you've seen investment demand pick up for gold, and it's probably going to continue that way. You know, our expectation is that over the course of the second quarter into the third quarter, you're going to see investors become less concerned about inflation. Uh, you're going to see interest rates rising. And you're going to see, if not a resolution to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, a clear path towards some sort of resolution. Now, it's total folly to talk about or project how a war resolves itself. So you have to go into scenario planning. And the Russians have a lot of weaponry at their disposal that they could change the course of this war dramatically. And, you know, you've seen gold prices weak today, gold, oil, silver, other commodities weak today. And that's partially because the financial markets globally have been saying, oh, well, you know, the Ukraine is winning and Russia is, is um, pulling in its tail and moving back and trying to limit its losses at this point. But that could swing back and forth over the next month or two as the Russians try to eke some sort of success out of this, possibly using ever worse weapons, possibly, well, they'll continue to try to suck the United States and NATO into the war, and the U.S. and NATO may well allow them to be sucked in, themselves to be sucked into the war. It's not clear. Uh, it's clear that U.S. and NATO realize that they have every advantage to let the Russians self-destroy themselves and just sort of stand by. Um, so I think that, you know, right now the war is helping gold prices stay up. As 2022 progresses and the war starts moving towards some sort of resolution, we think that the gold price could come down. Uh, and it's very funny because, you know, this morning we released a video in which we said, hey, uh, you know, gold prices could fall to 1880 in the next month or so. And it got to 1888 this, morning, uh, this afternoon. Uh, but, you know, we think that the gold price could decompress further over the rest of this year, over the next nine months. Uh, and then we think on a longer term basis, gold prices will rise because a lot of economic and political and financial problems remain, uh, even if they are less scary than they were three months ago in terms of inflation, for example. Um, and, and so I think that's one thing. But the other thing is, I mean, if you look at the U Russian invasion of the Ukraine, the first thing you have to say is, who are the big winners? Well, the United States government is, is probably perhaps the biggest winner. And in hand and glove with that, the U.S. dollar is. European governments probably are winning, too. But there are a lot of divisions there. And you have countries like Poland and Hungary where the governments were hostile toward the EU and they were talking about leaving the EU. And I think with the belligerence of Russia toward the Ukraine and toward Europe, uh, they probably will reconsider that. So I think there's a lot to be decided there. There's going to be a lot of uncertainty. But I do think that Russia or uh, Western Europe actually benefits. The euro probably doesn't benefit. NATO definitely benefits, and U.S. and European arms makers definitely benefit. The big losers are Putin and Russia. And, you know, in, in, in the, I guess it's uh, my enemy's enemies, I mean, Biden did something really interesting on Sunday when he said, hey, Putin cannot continue as president 
of Russia. And a lot of political analysts have been talking about the Caesar solution, which is somebody deposes Putin and re, uh, replaces him with a triumvirate of people who sue for peace and back out of the Ukraine. And by Biden saying, hey, this guy should be overthrown internally, he's basically precluded that. What he's doing is he's saying to the world, we really want Putin running Russia because Putin is a pariah. And as long as he's in charge of Russia, people are going to be afraid of Russia. And that's good for the United States on a global basis. Yeah. So I think that that's sort of some of the post-war dynamics to watch out for. Okay. So how does that, so you, I mean, with respect to gold, so you getting back to (laughs) that, so you, so you think that um, the price is going? I mean, do do you have a low target that it could hit? I mean, if you think it's going to be weak for the rest of the year, I mean, my one counter to you would be that markets always discount in advance; they look forward, and we've already seen gold correct quite a bit. So I'm just curious yeah. how that how that factors into your your forecast for the rest well, of the I'm year. Just, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'll give you a proviso. I thought that the price of gold could spike down to 1780 last year, and it spiked down to 1680. Uh, so this year, we're saying that we think that in a post-war period, gold could spike down to 1780. <laughs> yeah. um, and I do think that it doesn't go back. I mean, you know, the, the ultimate effect on the longer-term gold market of this war is that it, the war creates an an emphasizes the uncertainty and the instability in terms of global political and economic conditions. And in that environment, more people are going to want more gold for a longer period of time at a higher price. And you already saw that last year with central banks, more central banks buying more gold at higher prices than ever before last year. And and I think that you'll see central banks and private investors continuing to say, I want more gold. Now, I do think that the gold price could come down. I wouldn't be surprised to see a spike down to 1780 or 1800 over the course of this year. But we're basically looking, what we are looking at on a longer term basis is an extension of the base building that we saw in 2021, where the price basically traded between, for most of last year, the, the gold price traded between 1780 and 1840, 1860. And we're looking for that kind of range in the second half of this year, base building with the idea that later, when economic and financial and political conditions get even worse, and later I mean 2024, 2026, uh, you could see gold prices move to higher levels and to record levels. Uh, you know, how high it could go. I wouldn't be as surprised to see it spike to 3,000. I wouldn't, you know, we're on record with our clients as saying that we think that by 2026, the annual average price could be $2,600, which means that, you know, you'd, you'd see a, a intraday spike higher than that if you're going to have an average that high. So we're looking for record prices in the long run because there's so many problems facing the world and they're getting worse, not better, 
they're not necessarily crisis. You're not going to see the dollar collapse or the or the treasury market collapse, but you're going to see another. You're going to see future financial crises. You're going to see future recessions. You're going to see less international cooperation among countries. You're going to see extremely divisive politics in the United States and in Europe. You have finan- uh, economic and political stability issues in other parts of the world that will come up. And, and all of these things are going to cause investors to continue to want to buy and hold more gold than they used to. You know, it's sort of a continuation of this upward shift in the investment demand curve that we predicted in 20, in the year 2000, November 2000, uh, which is exactly what we've seen from 2002 until the present. You know, more investors buying more gold for a longer period of time at higher prices in more parts of the world because the economic and political and financial stability is far less assured than it was prior to 2000. Okay, Jeff. So wrapping things up, I'm just curious, is there a specific catalyst that or some kind of uh, news or development in, in, in global markets that uh, you, you think could bring gold out of the base building and, 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 move, and uh, to move higher? Uh, is is there anything that that uh, you you could be looking for on that end? We are looking for things, and basically, what we're saying is, if you look at past spikes in the gold price, nineteen seventy eight to nineteen eighty, you know, two thousand to two thousand eleven, it's a combination of factors. We think that one of the factors will be some sort of debt bomb, and if you look at past debt bombs. There are all these people who talk about how the Treasury is going to fall. There's one guy who's famous. You know, he's got more than 100,000 subscribers to his newsletter. His first newsletter in 1981 said the Treasury market's going to collapse. And he has been very consistent. For 41 years, he's been saying the Treasury market's going to collapse. The Treasury market's not the weak spot because everybody's watching it. It's some dusty corner of the debt market. It was real estate in 1989-1990. Uh, it was real estate again in 2007, 2008, uh, you know, collateralized mortgage obligations. It's going to be some sort of debt problem in a part of the market that's not necessarily having a lot of attention paid to it. One of the things we're looking at are equity derivatives and we're paying attention. But, you know, I think that it's hard. It, it's very hard to say what it is. That in and of itself probably doesn't cause the world to roll over the way it did in 2008. But in combination with other factors, I think it's real. You know, you still have people focus a lot of time on monetary policy and the fact that the Fed is and the Bank of England are now raising interest rates and they're they're taking away some of their monetary accommodation and their and their their bond buying programs. Um, but. They ignored the fact that the biggest stimulus last year was fiscal policy, not monetary policy. The monetary policy allowed the fiscal largesse to occur, and that fiscal largesse is still in place, and it's intractable, uh, and it needs a political solution in an environment where the politicians have no interest in solving that problem. So I think that fiscal policies and fiscal deficits coupled with rising sovereign debt, are a major problem to watch for. And it's not so much the monetary policy as the fiscal policy that people should be worried about. 
Okay, Jeff, on that note, uh, before we close, could you please tell our listeners if they want to follow you and your work, where they can go? Sure. Our website is www.cpmgroup.com. If you go there, you can read all about our stuff. We will be releasing our 2022 Gold Year book next Wednesday, uh, April 6th, uh, in in an, a free online briefing. Uh, so people can go online there. They can also go to YouTube and search CPM Group. We've been making twice-weekly videos for a couple years now, uh, and there's a tremendous amount of information stored in those videos, including the links for the gold yearbook to purchase and uh, the gold yearbook briefing to sign up for the online briefing uh, next week. And then, again, yeah, cpmgroup.com has all sorts of information, including free reads as well as information about the services we offer investors. Okay, great, Jeff. Uh, Thanks so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for all the info and education. I and my listeners really appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we can have you back over the months ahead. Okay, I'll probably be around. Thank you for tuning into the Daily Gold Podcast. For more interviews, editorials, and analysis, log on to thedailygold.com. And for premium coverage of precious metals and the best junior mining companies, visit thedailygold.com forward slash premium.